Glory to Jesus Christ. My brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, we have a new apostolic administrator. I'm sure the, the news has been passed around pretty quickly. Uh, Bishop Kurt Burnett has now replaced uh, Bishop Thomas Olmsted, who was the apostolic administrator uh, Vicante, uh, with Bishop Kurt, who's still apostolic administrator Vicante. So he is not our bishop per se, but he is uh, serving at the pleasure of the Pope uh, to oversee us, and not just our own eparchy, uh, but the eparch- his, his eparchy. Uh, he, he has the, he's the apostolic administrator of the Slovak eparchy up in Toronto, and also the uh, apostolic administrator now of Parma. So he is one busy man. Uh, Bishop Kurt is a priest from our eparchy originally. Uh, his last assignment was St. Irene's in Portland before he was sent to the seminary to be the rector my last year while there. And then from there, he was appointed Bishop of Passaic. Uh, very scholarly man, um, wonderful man. Um, so anyway, and he knows us very well, which is terrific. I learned a lot from Bishop Olmsted, and I'm learning to, looking forward to learning a lot from, from Bishop Kurt as well. Now you're probably thinking, well, what does this mean? And I'll tell you, I don't know. Don't got a clue. We were all prying, you know, we had our meetings Monday right after the announcement. He met with the clergy of Parma. The announcement came out Monday morning. And so Monday morning, he was meeting by Zoom with all the clergy in Parma and talked to them. And then on Monday afternoon, when it was in Portland, uh, I had to stop what I was doing to have two meetings with him uh, via Zoom. And the questions were all the same. What does this mean? And he says, I don't know. Maybe I'm only here till the summer, but for now, this is what we're going to do. You just keep going. You reappointed us to all our offices, and, um, and that's all. We carry on, and I'm sure he's going to do what he's going to do. He might come out and visit. Um, I don't know. Anyway, for us, the change is I put his name in the diptychs because that's his, that's his direction, and he is the bishop, and he gets to do what he wants. And also, he's uh, mandated for all the eparchies he's in uh, charge of, that at the end of every divine liturgy, we sing that ancient, ancient, the second oldest prayer we have to the mother of God beneath your compassion at the end of all public services. So any service that's in the bulletin, uh, I don't count really funerals and, and weddings public, even though they are, but generally uh, uh, those, the other services, whether it's Compline, Vespers, Matins, divine liturgy, we will end with that prayer immediately after the dismissal before we do anything else. We'll just get in that habit of singing that beautiful hymn, asking for the protection of the Mother of God. That's all I know. I got nothing more. When I was a small boy, do you remember the days when there was no cell phones? Some of you do not, which... Some of you don't even know what a rotary phone is, when, uh, you know. But anyway, do any of you know about engines and, and distributors and distributor caps or anything like that? Do you remember paper maps that would come out about every five years, and by the time you got ready to really use one, the roads were different than what the map was? Well, when I was growing up, whenever mom and dad, were, we were going to go on a trip, and most of our trips were from Moses Lake to Ellensburg. That's all we could do. My dad's family 
which is the family I grew up with. My mom's family was dispersed. We don't know much about her family. We'd go to Ellensburg. Or a big trip was to Spokane, which is about, you know, 100 miles, 90 miles away. Well, when we get ready to make this trip, Dad would make sure the car was ready to go. But he was always uh, pack his toolkit. Small toolkit, not his big one, but a small one. And he would always have these extra parts. He'd always carry an extra distributor cap, this thing that, that tells which spark plug to fire, when to fire, and an extra rotor which goes inside the distributor cap, which puts the electricity where it needs to go, and the various other implements that I can't remember that he would always have with him. A little extra antifreeze, a coolant, you know, this or that and the other, bailing wire and tape, whatever he needed to fix. Because, see, when you went in those days, there was another one to call should you break down. There wasn't a cell phone handy. There wasn't a, a pay phone that you could walk to. And in those days, there was less traffic on the road. So you're on your own. So you had to prepare for your trips. Plan ahead. Think of things that might happen so you are ready for it. Just like if you're going to climb Mount Everest, you're not going to just go as you are right now and start trying to ascend it. You're going to plan for it. You're going to prepare. You're going to prepare physically. You're going to prepare with the right equipment. You're going to prepare with a plan of how you're going to tackle climbing it. You're going to prepare on how to use the safety equipment. You want to know how to use it before you actually have to use it. Prepare, prepare, prepare. Preparation is key to anything if you want it to be successful. And we are in the season now of preparation. This Sunday is the Sunday of the publican and the Pharisee. It's the official first preparatory Sunday of the great fast. Now, last Sunday was the Sunday of Zacchaeus. It's not an official preparatory Sunday. It should be, but it's not. And each of the Sundays that follow are a preparatory Sunday in, prep Sunday in preparation for stepping out into the desert and making the big trip. So last Sunday... The preparation we were supposed to take away is this desire. Hey, if you're going to climb Mount Everest, by golly, you better have a desire to do it or stay home. So we have to have a desire that we want to enter into the desert and we want to enter into a relationship with our Lord that's going to require work of us. It's going to require something of us. And so we need to have that desire before we go out into it. This is the Sunday of the publican and the Pharisee. Here we learn that pride has no place in our spiritual life, has no place in our relationship and growth with Christ, has no place in allowing us to attain the heavenly kingdom. Humility, humble-mindedness, is the tool we want when we go out into that desert. Next Sunday is the Sunday of the publican and the Pharisee. What tool do we gain there? 
the need for repentance. To recognize our faults and then acknowledge them. And ask for forgiveness. The Sunday after that is Meat Fair Sunday. What is that Sunday about? Judgment. The awareness that there is consequences to the manner of life that we live, both good or bad. And then that following Sunday, the last Sunday, Cheese Fair Sunday, where we finally say goodbye to the last of the good stuff, is a Sunday of forgiveness which we find from the cross is the basis for all the transformation we have in our life. These are the tools we are to have in our toolbox as we step out into that desert. This Sunday, in the verse that opens up our pericope, Luke writes this. He also told this parable. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteousness and despised others. He told this parable to some. He wasn't just telling his, this parable to the people of his day. You and I know very well that when he told this parable, maybe he's telling it to one of us this morning in this temple. Or maybe all of us. Perhaps we have allowed pride to get in the way of our life. Perhaps we've allowed pride to discolor our vision of what the church should be. Perhaps we've had pride discolor the way we think things should go. Perhaps it's gotten so bad it distorts the person who we think we are. And we're trying to present ourselves as something we're not. Because we want people to think of us as in a certain way. And Jesus basically says, the pride, those who live with that kind of pride, who think of themselves as righteous and despising others, you already have your reward. You're done. It's the humbled that will be justified. The humbled that will enter the kingdom of heaven. Because humility allows us to be our true selves. It recognizes we recognize through humility that are of our dependence on God, that we can't do it ourselves. And watch that dang pietistic pride. We mask with this sense of pietism, but underneath we're judging others. We're thinking ourselves, well, we know better than them. Why aren't they doing what I'm doing? Look at me. And we're falling right into the trap of the Pharisee. I'm sure the Pharisee, and Jesus didn't contradict him in the parable, that he was doing everything that he said. It was just the attitude in which he was doing it, which robbed him of everything. What's our attitude in the things that we do for the church? What's our attitude with the things we do with our families? What's our attitude in the things we do out in the world? Is it with pride and arrogance and vainglory? Or is it with humility? With the love of Christ. Recognize that I'm not perfect. I'm just trying to do what little good I can do, as poor as that may be. 
Now, we let that pride and arrogance just rule us. And then we think we can sway other people by it, by being forceful in our language or speaking in manner that we try to intimidate others. Pride and arrogance has no place. And in the desert, it will crush you. St. Paul was humbled greatly from his pride and arrogance before his trip to Damascus. But afterwards, when he realized whose presence he was in and how actually insignificant he really was in light of that presence, it changed his life forever. And because of that humility that he began to have in himself, he was willing to endure all the, the persecution and the beatings and all these things for the sake of passing on the message of love of kindness, of forgiveness, and of mercy. And in that posture of humility, he brought about a great change in the church, a great change in the world, and set our hearts on fire. And he would pass this along to Timothy, and to Titus, and to countless others. That would not have happened with an attitude of pride that would not have happened with an attitude of arrogance. It only comes through a posture and an attitude of humility. Micah's words should be enshrined above every door in our home, on the inside before we go out. What has he called us to do? To love kindly, to do justice and walk humbly before your God. If we could just do these things, what a difference it would be in the world and in our own lives. We would find peace. So as we prepare in a few weeks to step out into the desert, make sure you have that tool of desire. Make sure you're willing to climb that sycamore tree, whatever it takes, to stay in, in the vision of our Lord, to keep Him in eyesight. And when you do it, you better be humble, recognizing that you've done nothing great. We've done nothing. We can take no credit for anything. Anything that good that has ha come about because of us is sheer grace. And that should keep us humble. That should keep us, as my mom would always tell me, honey, be small. Be small. And in that smallness is where God can do His great work and bring about the changes in our lives and the lives of those around us. I end with a story. I like this little story. It's so true, though. There was an older man that used to come to the church every Sunday, feast day, religiously. But one day, the priest noticed that this man stopped coming. After a few weeks, the priest decided to go to his house and pay a visit. The priest knocked on the door, 
And the man came to the door, opened it up, saw it was the priest, invited him in. He pointed to a chair that was in front of a fireplace that was burning. And they both sat there. And they sat there in silence for a long time, neither saying anything. Finally, the priest gets up, goes to the fireplace, takes a pair of tongs, and pulls out a burning ember and pulls it out onto the hearth, sets the tongs back in place and goes back to his chair and sit. And there they sit in the quiet, watching that burning ember slowly die out. When it was cold, the priest got up, got the tongs, pushed the ember back into the fire, and immediately it went ablaze. And at that, the man turned to the priest and says, I will be in church next Sunday. Away from the divine fire, we are going to grow cold and die. It's only by staying close, staying within that sacred fire, that we burn with the life of Christ within us. And we do that by staying active in our prayer life, active in the sacramental life, active in, our, in this uh, divine liturgical life, active in our life of prayers that's going to increase multiple times over when we get into Lent. These things keep us close to that fire, as does the desire for Christ, as does humility, and all the other things that we will pick up along the way before we set out. Is Christ preaching to you today? Because we're arrogant we're prideful. We consider ourselves righteous and we despise others. And if he is, then we have that great gift of repentance and seek it with tears and lament. And he will forgive us. Then we have the proper attitude, the proper tools in hand to step out into that desert out into the Sinai as we cross the Jordan. Oops, wrong direction. But out anyway, out in the desert. And to make a change in our lives. Maybe I'm not preaching to anybody today. Maybe it's somebody on TV that needs to see, hear this. I don't know. But Jesus told this for a reason. So let's reflect on it. Maybe it is to one of us, or maybe it's to all of us. In which case, we all need to make a change. But it will be for the benefit of ourselves and for each of our brothers and sisters around us. Glory to Jesus Christ. May you have a wonderful week. May it be filled with the light and love of Christ. You know, when I preach, it's agonizing. It's absolutely agonizing. Because I know I'm going to be held on the carpet for every single word I said. Every single one. 
You've had pompous speech there, Father Michael. Did you do half of the things that you said? I strive. Let me know. I'll tell you, I strive. But I know what's right, and then I know what has to be said. And so I'm really, like myself, aware of every word I say to us here in this temple. So don't think I just pop off, you know, without a thought of the word. But I know who I have to answer to, both for myself and I have to answer for you. And for the words that I say and the words that I fail to say because I was afraid to say them. So I do what I have to do. So just know that. Just know that. In the meantime, your prayers, please, uh, as I, I journey. And uh, for our priest uh, in Alaska, Father Mutka, uh, Father Joseph, who's retiring, and then Father Daniel Dozier, who's taken over uh, uh, down in um, St. Irene's as well.